I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I am your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Fudge! Well, I wish I had some fudge too, but it is the season. Maybe I'll get some. I don't know. It's up in the air. But we're not here to talk about fudge, although there is probably plenty of lore about that we could talk about. Uh, instead, we're going to be talking about some video game stuff. I know, crazy, right? Uh, we're going to be answering some questions today, and uh, we're also going to be talking about some maybe recently released trailers that you might have seen. Uh, if you do have questions for this podcast or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them in to podcast.blizzardwatch.com. If you are a Patreon supporter, go ahead and send those into the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel. Uh, and if you're not a Patreon supporter, again, we understand uh, we have a Discord channel set aside just for Q and podcast questions. In any case you send those questions in, just specify what show they are for. But before we get to questions, we're going to start with a little something that I know Matt was pretty excited about because, well, it's Matt. And if you know anything about Matt, you know that he maybe possibly quite reasonably likes Diablo a little bit. Matt, do you want to talk about what we just got at the Games Awards? Yeah. See, this is where Matt's being a contrarian because I, I, yeah, I kind of prepped literally, it up. I'm the one that emailed him and said we yeah. should talk about this. <laughs> so yes, I do want to talk about it. Well, in this case, I will let you go. Okay. Uh, they released, first off, we got a release date, but that's not really the scope of the show. But as part of the release date announcement at the Game Awards, uh, Blizzard put out another one of their cinematics for Diablo 4. I think I should mention it's June of, of 2023, just so people don't freak out. So yeah, that's the release date. Anyway, getting back to it. In this trailer, we see an army of... I don't know who they are. I know they're human. I have a guess. Uh, and they look like they're from Akarat. Yeah. The Church of Akarat. Yep. The Zaka Room, rather. Uh, but I don't recognize them. Uh, they may be a new order entirely, because at any rate, one of them... They, they appear to be marching on what could actually be hell. 
basically based on the statement made by the figure we're going to be talking about. They set up in an order. There's a priestess who's walking out on what appears to be molten rock and burning her feet. Like her feet are coming up and it looks like strips of her own skin are coming up as she walks, which to me is like, why aren't you wearing shoes? Shoes are good. Shoes prevent this. Uh, but she walks forward and there's a host of demons arrayed against them. And as the demons do their usual demonic rah, rah, thing, and you know, they're very menacing. A plus you look, you look quite demonic. She drops down to like a kneeling praying position. And there's this intense bright light as the figure we were discussing shows up. The demons charge, the humans spear them. They get hit by the, the divine light itself because Anarius is there. A good old Anarius, we've talked about plenty of times, the angel who was part of the angel-demon duo that defected from the armies of heaven and hell, respectively, the ones who were the effectively the parents of the Nephilim, and he blasts them and they get speared by the humans. It, it's quite an organized uh, defense against the demonic horde. But then he sees Lilith, and he, he's like, it's, he says, Lilith, I came to the hells for you. Or something to that effect. I don't have the video right in front of me. I watched it this morning, but I don't remember exactly what he says. But he lands and draws a spear. And as she turns and walks away, as the demon accord is coming towards them, he he clearly throws the spear at her. And that's boom. End of end of trailer. So we now know for sure, absolutely, Anarius is in this thing. Uh, we have seen him. He he has made his point. Ha, point, he throws a spear. Um we also know that Lilith, it, it, it's hard to tell, is Lilith in command of these demons? Or is Lilith simply there? And if so, why is she there? Or does he just, you know, for all we know, he just sees Lilith everywhere he goes now because, you know, they, they have a history. Um, when last we saw Inarius in terms of story, it was in the Sin War trilogy. Mm -hmm. When the angels give him to the demons to, to like do what they want to him as recompense for basically a way to end the conflict between them over sanctuary. So we don't know what's been going on here. Like why is Anarius there? Although we, how, how did, how did he get out? Like, did he get released when there weren't any prime evils left to torture him? Yeah. That's an interesting yeah. proposition because right. Like one of the original uh, Diablo four reveal trailers that we, we saw was uh, flashes of, uh, some some scenes, not just Lilith being born out of the blood pool and all that other stuff, um, but there was a scene that was very, very quick, and I know got sort of, I don't want to say analyzed pretty heavily, but I know... Because the fruit are filmed. Yeah. Um, and it's literally, in our, it, it, even the stills in the uh, press release uh, art stuff, because yes, that we you can actually check those for, for digging through stuff like this, uh, which is how we have confirmation that the scene that we see with the, the angel that Matt's talking about in the trailer is Inarius, because it basically is Inarius army. Um, but there's also that scene where the person wrapped in chains being tortured in, in hell is also labeled Anarius in the press, uh, the press art stuff. So we knew that he was in the game in some capacity. We didn't have any idea what it was, although I think it was Matt that called, uh, there's probably going to be an element of the game where we break him out, uh, or potentially break him out of his prison because that would make logical sense. Um, there, now we know that there's going to be even more to it. It's not just going to be us taking a broken angel potentially. And even if we don't, yeah. if we're not the ones that break him out, he's, he's present he and might, active. He may have already gotten out. In fact, one of the things I've been thinking is 
after the offense of Diablo 3, for a while, there's nobody in charge of hell. There's no major demons. There's there's no yeah. the, no prime evils of any kind. No greaters, no lessers, nothing. And then after we destroy the soul stone, they get released. But does, that doesn't mean they immediately come back to hell and are just in charge again. They would need time to regenerate. Because that's the whole thing about the soul stones in the first place is when you kill a, a, a demon on the mortal plane, usually they go back to the hells and regenerate. They don't just immediately go like, okay, I'm cool. No, there's a ta- there's a period of regrowth. So during that period of regrowth, was there anybody sufficiently powerful to secure an Arius? An Arius may not actually be an arch, an archangel. He, he's not actually on the Angerus Council, but he was their peer in power. Like he was buddies with Tyrael and Imperius. This was a guy who was before he finally before he became you know jaundiced about the whole thing. He was on the forefront of the war. He was mm-hmm. he was an angel that demons feared. So could he could he is he powerful enough to just get himself out of hell, or did he choose not to? Like maybe he decided to scour hell looking for her because he would have blamed her for everything. Yeah, there's there's also an interesting parallel too with the 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 trailer that I noticed, which I'm pretty sure you did as well. Back in the days of Diablo 2, when you were actually going into the act of hell to go fight Diablo, there was an angelic staging area that was a bastion that that sat at the edge of hell that was basically filled with the light and had the angels in it. And like that was your safe space before you ventured out into the plains of hell. There was an element of sort of the gates opening inside of that sort of citadel laying out into hell with with Anarius and these troops sort of moving forward out of that gate. Like it didn't feel like a mortal uh, settlement behind it because there was the big angelic light and everything else behind it. And mm-hmm. I, there was definitely some parallels there. Also, the interesting parallel for me was that um, if I remember correctly, uh, Zakarum, which originated in Akarat, uh, had his origins in Akarat, uh, which there was an ascetic who claimed to have been visited by, I think it was Yenar, what is it, Yarius? Yarius? Yeah, um, yeah, Yarius. Who taught? It's just a, it's a word that just means like high one or something. Yeah, but we never knew if that was the actual angel's name or who it was or anything like that. But it basically taught this very zealous way of thinking, where this order sprung up that was it stressed the necessities of resisting, resisting all things evil, embracing the total devotion of the light, um, and then that angel appointed uh, Akrat to be the prophet of these new teachings, and then bade him to go take his the word out to the rest of the lands. Well, the other interesting thing about that, too, is I'm looking at the symbol of the Order of Zacharum, and it's very, very, very similar to the symbol that is emblazoned on the helmets. It's entirely possible that Inarius is the one that maybe kicked that all off in the first place to create an army of zealous human paladins. And this well, might you know be... That- you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because in the Sin War, that's exactly what he does, mm-hmm. except not with the Zakarum because it's it's centuries before the Zakarum exists. Mm-hmm. But he does create an order that's very similar to the Church of Zakarum, uh, an order of the light following him. So maybe he did it again. I mean, it's entirely possible. Um, we don't we don't know for that matter when he got out. He may have been out for a long time. Like you know, we don't know how long it took them to hold him. You know, there, there's a lot we don't know yet. Uh, he may have been reaching out to, you know, the uh, the Zacharum in the first place. Like he may have like created them, or he may have just found them and made use of them. I mean, we don't really know. The, the other, what, the other, the other aspect of it that I was thinking about is like, what, I wonder if it was, it, yeah. 
if it might be something to do with the hand of Zakarim as well, um, because that was a quote-unquote quote defunct uh, Paladin Order that was mentioned in Diablo 2, was mentioned in several of the books, um, but hasn't been seen from since. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, that is also another possibility. There's a lot going on here. Uh, just straight up, there is a lot going on. But one of the things I thought was really interesting, too, was the interaction with with, uh, with Lilith is very... Like, she doesn't do anything in it. Like In fact, it's kind of hard to tell why she's there. And that's something that fascinated me. Like, I, I don't know why she's there. It doesn't show why she's there. We just see you know, there's these, these shields. I'm actually going back to look at the cinematic because I want to look at the helmet now that you've said that, by the way. But yeah, she's barefoot right on the lava. That's really not a good move. It is. That is the soccer room order. Yeah, nailed it. That is that is the soccer room uh, sigil. Folks at home, you don't understand how proud I am of myself for catching that detail. I mean, it's it's been altered. Yeah, but it's got it's got a lot of the elements. It's on the shields too. Mm-hmm. It is a little different. So the hand of soccer room is not a bad call. Actually, looking at this, there's the light coming from behind them. It's actually sweeping over them. They have the or they have a symbol on the standards as well. It's a little different. It's more of a sun, but it's got the the main element of it. So yeah, that is that is a good call on your part, man. Uh, I'm grinning right now. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm a kid in school that just did good. <laughs> yeah, Mostly yeah. because Matt Matt knows Diablo way more than I do. I it just happened to be one of those things that I caught. We were watching the trailer, but I'm it made me excited. Like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest because not that I wasn't already excited for Diablo four, but it feels like we're getting confirmation that the story is going to be one that I think I've personally been waiting for, for a long time, which is this confrontation between Anarius and Lilith, because that was a big thing. That was a big event. The falling out of the two Lilith wanting to, you know, harness the Nephilim army to basically take over everything because that was the entire goal to begin with. Uh, and, and Anarius going, nah, let's just purge existence of these humans. Sanctuary needs to go. Uh, and like the, the, that's sort of like the meat of the conflict. And here we are stuck in the middle and it's going to be a lot of that as well. And not to mention like the Nephilim that are returning. Um, why can't I think of his name now? Uh, wow. their son, their Linarian? son, not, not Linarian, the, um, the other one. Um, no, Linarian is Rothma. Yes. They're the same guy. Yes, 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 if yes. you're if you're thinking Rothma, and I'm I was sure thinking, I was thinking the name Rothma. I just could yeah. not, for whatever Rothma, reason, Rothma and Lenarian are the same guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he's his name. The name Rothma was given to him by Tragul. Uh, before that, he was Lenarian because literally it's Lilith and Inarius. He is, his name is their names portmanteaued. Uh, but then he chose Rothma when he became essentially an agent of the balance, which does lead to some interesting questions. If he's involved in bringing her back, like is this his attempt to balance something? M- maybe Inarius gets out first. And is doing something with the Zaka room that causes him to bring Lilith back. We don't know. There's a ton of things. It it should be fair to, to point out too, as Joe pointed out, Inarius didn't like humans. Uh, in point of fact, he didn't care about humans. It was the Nephilim he didn't like because they were more powerful than angels or demons. He was terrified of what they might accomplish. And as a result of that, he altered the world stones so that they wouldn't be born anymore. And they would just be humans who are obviously not more powerful than angels and demons who aren't a threat to him. 
Like he viewed the the Nephilim as an aberration that would attract the attention of the hev- the heavens and the hells, and more importantly, threaten them because anybody who could control the Nephilim now had a weapon that was more powerful than the hosts of heaven and hell. Like imagine if all the Nephilim on Sanctuary had you know been harnessed by one of the two sides. Like whichever side gets control of all these p- potential gods is going to have an, a massive advantage in the, in the eternal conflict. And that's in fact, exactly what Lilith was banking on. That was her plan. Get lots of, lots of Nephilim babies, win the war, you know, defeat both heaven and hell and, and put herself on the throne of all creation. That was her scheme. So it's not like he didn't have reason to be suspicious of them. So yeah, there's a lot going on here. I am very interested in seeing how this works out. Yeah, because it, it's, it's definitely a deeper story than I think most folks are probably going to be used to in Diablo. Cause let's be honest, Diablo one, while it had a story, most people were just clicking on things and hoping that the barrel that they blew up didn't have a skeleton inside of it because that would just make things really awkward and happen more often than not. Uh, Diablo two, while it had a very compelling story inside of the game, um, wasn't as deep. It was definitely, uh, not the main focus for a lot of folks. Diablo three had way more story than I think people were, were used to. And Diablo four seems to be shaping up to be to have even more story than that. Uh, But it's, it's that tying up of the loose ends that, that sort of the ancient conflicts being brought to bear again, the knowing what happened with uh, heaven and hell in Diablo three, like what happened with us around uh, you know, what happened with the black souls and what happened with Leah, what happened with uh, Mathiel knowing what happened to humanity, all of it sort of becomes this, uh, you know, sort of backdrop for this, which feels like it's the stakes are higher now, right? Because no matter what, like you're, you're looking at either the person that wanted to wipe off the Nephilim and possibly more now, because we don't know how Inaris' views have shifted now that the world is the way that it is. And if he knows everything that happened with Malthiel, if he knows what everything that happened with the heavens uh, and hell and the hells in general, knowing that, uh, Lilith is free and how she views things now, which is probably the same as always, which is I need to be in control of everything because that seems to be her character trait. Uh, but it's like in what that what does that mean for the Nephilim? Because like you pointed out, she's not in sanctuary. She's in hell. And part of that might be because there's no uh, greater prime evils there sitting, you know, taking control of things. Um, but you would have imagined that she probably would have gone for the Nephilim that were starting to come around again. Right. Because that's sort of one of the key story points, isn't it? If I, unless I'm remembering incorrectly, that there are Nephilim still. They're, they're starting to come around again. I mean, that was a big part of Diablo 3. I don't know how much they show up in Diablo 4. Um, but it was the major thing of Diablo 3 is that there, there are multiple Nephilim being born. So, yeah, no idea what that's going to be in this. I'm yeah. at the point where I'm going to be saying a lot of no idea because I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening. Uh, maybe we should move on to actually talking about other stuff just because at this point we're, we're dangerously close to triggering my let's talk about Diablo 4 for like an hour and a half. We've already done <laughs> 20 minutes of this. So. Yeah, I don't think anybody would complain if we did, but we are going to move on to some questions here then uh, just so we can, you know, progress forward. But keep your eyes open for what happens with the story of Diablo 4 because I would not be surprised if we get another short story or book. Uh, before the release as well, because that's generally their sort of MO. Uh, but we're going to do some questions here. This first one comes from Metal Zani. Did we unintentionally release Razageth and the others when we defeated the last old god? Seems like old magic was used to seal Razageth, so when they were 
all dealt with when those bonds begin to weaken. Um, I would say that that would have more merit if Old God Magic was what was used to bind them. It is more likely uh, that it was Titan Magic that was used to bind them, since it is uh, Titan Creations, essentially, or ostensibly Order Creations and the Dragonflight uh, that helped seal them away. Now, I think you're probably talking about the Vortex that you saw uh, Deathwing open up that sucked them all away. We don't know that that's what was used to seal them. We actually don't know how they were sealed. We don't know anything beyond that. There was a giant war that was fought. Yeah. I mean, Razageth makes some statements that, you know, she seems to blame, um, Oh, bloody heck. I can't remember her name. And I just talked to her in game like five minutes ago. Alex Raza. Thank you. Um, he, he, she seems to blame Alex Raza personally, Mm -hmm. not Deathwing. In fact, you know, she wouldn't necessarily even know Deathwing existed. Uh, plus there's the fact that, they're dealing with elementals and I mean, elementals a lot of time left to their own devices tend to do stuff. Old gods want them to do. Uh, I don't know that that's what's going on this time. I don't know if the old gods are involved in this at all. I think it is feasible that we might've been involved in that because we defeated Nazoth. But remember, Nazoth is not the guy who originally bound that the elementals and thus, you know, all that other stuff. He's, he's, he is the one that, Deadwing, Deathwing was dealing with the one with an Eltharian was dealing with, but he's not the one who was in control of the elements in the first place. So I don't know. I don't know. It's a reasonable question. You have to ask yourself, would it really take them five years or was, were they in fact, were they inaccessible because the dragon isles were inaccessible? Were they like locked in that stasis? And it, the stasis was created by, the Titans, right? The Titan forged in the, in Tearhold were the ones who were locking the place down. And it wasn't until enough power became accessible that you could turn it back on. Right. Am, am I misremembering that, that opening cinematic? No. So it went into a dormant state. Absolutely. And it was the Titan, the Titan creations, their versions of the watchers and the, the dragon uh, brood, I guess we'll call them that were sort of left behind all sort of it, the, they went into, like you said, stasis or a sleep mode is probably the best way to put it a low power mode that they were waiting for the, uh, the ley lines to, to sort of come back into alignment uh, and have enough power for the facilities to do what it was originally intended to do. And for the beacons to be lit up and have the dragons sort of get their homing signal to come back home. The, the two things that stand out for me though, are one, we don't know where the vortex that Deathwing opened actually led to. Um, So like, we have no idea what that was, what that did, or anything along those lines. You are correct in the the interactions with Alex Straza sort of giving us some context clues, but we know that there was a hard-fought war between all of them. The other thing that I am curious about is the spell that Malagos weaved that Deathwing then used to put all the Drakthir to sleep and put them in that stasis where they were essentially frozen in time. Did that maybe work on everything on the island? because we don't know the scope of that weaving either. We do know that stuff was still happening, <clears throat> but not on the dragon isles. Yeah. But it was like you said, a low power mode. It's like they put everything into, okay, the dragon fleet, the dragons are gone. Uh, we dragon can have to run everything, uh, you know, shut everything down. Like everything that doesn't have to be on, shut it off. Especially when you're in the, uh, as your span, there's a whole lot of cases where you're, you're stumbling upon, you know, journals and so forth left behind by dragon can who are like the, the dragons are gone. What do we do? So 
the place does seem to still have had people like Dragonkin on it, but the Dragonkin appear to have been basically just in panic mode, trying to like, keep the place going and often failing based on all the ruins get, that got left now, behind. Hmm? Now, that was the other thing that I was going to say is like, there's another element that I just thought of and it, thinking about it is the maintaining of stuff. We know from past experiences that art mages and mages and, and or practitioners of essentially what is order magic, because that is essentially what we're told that most magic is. Um, if they don't maintain a weaving or a spell or a sigil or something, it can begin to weaken over time. And if it is in low power mode with those ley lines being ripped away from uh, the island, which when they put that spell in place to lock the, the vault uh, away, wouldn't have been a consideration, right? Like, especially if it was a spell that Malagos weaved to feed off of that energy. And then all of a sudden that energy gets ripped away because Malagos decides that he's going to uh, lose it and then rip everything to Northrun to the, the Nexus, which he did. It's entirely possible that during that time frame, until the ley line started shifting back into their natural order, that has been weakening the entire time and that it just hit a point where the spell was weak enough that they could crash through. I mean, and for that matter, we know that the, there were multiple spells by, by Malagos that all started failing. Yeah. Oh, that's right. One yeah, those, we do. You know, one of those spells that started failing is the one that held the, the Drakthir in place in the first place. But we also know the vault of the incarnates, which is where they were locked up is right in it's in Thazara. It's, it's like right across from the city. You know, you go to Valdraken and you just head across the mountains and there's the Vault of the Incarnates. It's really close to um, Nosdormu's place. In the Halls of Infusion. Yeah. So there's a lot to consider about all of it. We, we don't know for sure. I, I'm i going to say for once, I don't think this one's on us. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of this stuff was on, you know, and, and that's rare to say. And certainly I don't, I'm not dismissing your 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 idea here because it is worth thinking about. But we see Notharian bamf Razagath away, but then Razagath says when she's talking to Toronto to to, to Toronto, huh? when she's talking to 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 Ashara, not Ashara, I cannot say Alexstrasza today. Yeah, when she's talking to Alexstrasza, Razagath says, "You know, you did this to us. You put us in that place," which to me says that all he did was bamf her away. He was like, "Go away." Uh, which was dumb. He should have killed her. But, you know, uh, again, the old gods might not have let him. Who knows? But we, we do get the sense that the Vault of the Incarnates was where they sealed them off. It was the, the place they locked them up. So, yeah, I, I don't think this one's on us. That, that's just my feeling. Yeah, I, I tend to be in agreement with that. Agreement with that so, uh, But, again, not, not that we're saying that it's your point's not worth considering because it is. But we're going to move on for now, uh, and this one comes from Godzilla. Uh, as much as I'm loving the macro story of Dragonflight, the micro stories of the side quest are so heartfelt. Uh, Veristraza's story was heartbreaking. I really hope we get a chance to, to time travel back to the Dragon Elves at their prime. Would be a fun patch. Would you like to see us take a jaunt back to a time over 10,000 years ago? With, I mean, yes. I'm going to flat out like the answer is yes for me. And we have sort of the mechanism for that already, as Matt pointed out, uh, with the Bronze Dragonflight area literally to the southeast of Feldraken, right? Like, there, that's their area. They're right near the main city. But one of the things that's there are giant hourglasses, and it's sort of there to help focus the, the timeways. And we've already seen some quests that 
send you into the timeways, into the distant past, into the uh, potential future. Like, if you want spoilers, go to my t- my uh, Twitter feed because I put some <laughs> pictures up from them. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I don't want to get into too far into what like what they are, but like, yes, they're the means are there. We know the means are there. We also know that because of that platform, they can create temporal anchors now, uh, and like they can go and do stuff. What they call, I think they're called time walkers, where they can basically they just walk the timeways. Uh, part of it is that they're there to sort of clean things up, but also see what kind of is going on because that's sort of their task, and they've been lost in the timeways for ten thousand years or so at this point. Okay, can we have a spoiler warning here? Sorry, go ahead. Okay, guys, maybe jump ahead five minutes. While we're talking about all of this, one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best micro quests is actually part of the main story. Mm-hmm. But it's got some really interesting side notes in it. When you go out to uh, the, um, the I can't remember what it's called, the the, the Bronze Dragon headquarters there. Feldrasis. Yeah, Fel- no, Feldrasis is the name of the zone. I don't know the name of the uh, actual... The confluence or something, the temporal confluence, I think it's called. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. But, but when you go out there, terrible com- temporal conflux or confluence or whatever, when you go out there and you hook up with first Chromie and later Nors Dormu and Sori Dormu show up, uh, you start, you know, fighting. The, there's there's various influence from the infinite dragon flight that you're opposing. But at one point, you're just trying to seal up these time rifts. And you've got this really excitable Drak there who's joined up with the time keep time walkers to try and help. And as she's like, I'll do this one. And she runs off to close the portal, but she accidentally sends a nearby Murloc yep. into the portal flash to a lot of stuff happens. I'm not going to talk about it, but you end up having to go back through time looking for Chromie and the infinite dragon that Eternus. she was fighting. Yeah. Eternus. And you end up Norzorm was like, well, they weren't in that, you know, you, you, you didn't quite manage to catch them in the future. So I'm going to send you to the past. He's like, I, I'm not really sure what this is. And you get there and it's, it's not Azeroth. It's as Murloth because that Murloc she sent back in time, changed the history of Azeroth so that everything's a Murloc, including you, including you, including like the orcs who came from Draenor are apparently now Murlocs who came from Draenor. <laughs> like, I mean, you, and Bane, Bane Bloodhoof is now a Murloc, and Deathwing is now a Murloc dragon, because even dragons are Murlocs. Oh, God. It was it's, one of the best quests that I think I played. Yeah. It's, it's on the one hand, yes, it's kind of goofy. But on the other hand, it's not goofy for nothing. Like, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It plays off of an earlier thing that happens while you're doing this quest line. And secondly, it sets up a really nice contrast to the thing that follows it, which I'm going to leave unspoiled. If y'all, y'all should do this quest. You should absolutely do this quest. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, you have but to, also, if you want to get to the next level story. Yeah. So you're going to do it at some point, but take your time with it and pay attention. But yeah, it's, it's a really good example of how they, how they work stuff together in this expansion, how the, the little stuff what I was going to say about the micro storytelling in general is that a lot of the stuff that is not directly related to the main quest line is still related to it because it's about the effects of everything that happened. Does that make sense? Like Veristraz is, is not something you have to do. You cannot do Veristraz's quest. But if you do do his quest, you sit there and you listen to him and what he tells you isn't just backstory. It is. There's a lot of backstory. It's an exposition dump. But it's also showing you these are the effects of the things that you've heard about. 
You've heard about the Black Dragonflight getting nuts. You've heard about the war, but you never really, you haven't thought about what it would be like to be a member of one of the Dragonflights when this went down. That it's not just about the aspects that all these black dragons that ended up being corrupted and following Deathwing were once friends with all these other dragons. And it wasn't like, you know, they just suddenly went evil and nobody cared. It's like having your old friend suddenly, you know, gets radicalized by watching Fox News or something. Um, Sorry if that's too political for people, but that's kind of what it was like. Like, like, you know, it's like a civil war. It's like suddenly brother against brother. It's like, you know, you love that person, but now that person's just, just not willing to listen, not willing to see reason. It's really powerful. And they do it a lot with lots of little things like, you know, whilst all this is happening, these Tuscar are suddenly in danger mm-hmm. from something that hasn't even got anything directly to do with the dragons. Like the Tuscar are being menaced by Nulls. And the malls are being menaced by the the uh, the primalists, but not because they're dragons or anything. The primalists just want tools. The primalists want to use anybody they can find against the dragons. And so people are getting caught up in this. It's really just, there's this one quest. You, you've done all of the Azure Span, right? Oh, yeah. The one quest with the, uh, the two kids, the two kid Tuscar, who want to adopt a null. Mm-hmm. Like that quest, it's it's nothing. It's 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 blink and you miss it. But that kid's out there because their entire tribe turned into like you know disease monsters. Yeah, to, to decay zombies essentially. Yeah, and it's just man, like the way they lock stuff together, it's really interesting. There's there's so many quests I could mention. There's the one quest where the the blood elf and the human wizard are together doing missions up in the ruins, and you know they're like. They're like almost the Mers and the 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 rigs and Murtaugh of mm-hmm. of wizards, and how that plays out. You know, there's just there's a lot too, a lot of little beats here that I really th- thought were pretty pretty dang good. Yeah, like that's one of the things that I think is really great about Dragonflight so far, at least the leveling experience and the quests that are available in the zones. And I, I do highly recommend going through and finding them and flying around. And if you see the exclamation point, taking the time to go do them. Because there's lots of little little interconnected stories uh, that, in the grand scheme of things, may not matter for the larger conflict that's going on. It may not even care about the dragons coming home. But, like, the Tuscar quest lines were fantastic. The death of a chieftain, uh, the uh, responsibilities of a new chief taking over for the, that particular tribe, what it takes to, to present and keep a village going. Uh, in the face of those gnolls coming down and, and trying to, uh, you know, basically use them as meat sources. Um, there's a lot of little things like that that are just hidden in all of the zones that are just, that's what good questing is as far as I'm concerned with storytelling. While the macro story should always be something that we care about, at, at least in the periphery, you can lose yourself in the moment of these little tiny things like Godzilla points out uh, Veristraz's story in the, the opening zone. We talked about that when we talked about uh, the waking shores and getting to the Ruby life pools in general, it is a very heartbreaking quest and it's not a heartbreaking quest because it's just sad, but it's, it's this overwhelming feeling of, of loss through the eyes of a being that is so long lived that it, you would think that this wouldn't have mattered to them as much as it does, but it does. And it's really well done and it's really well written. And even the follow-up when you bring the time capsule back to Veristraz, uh, it's again, this sort of 
wonderful moment in memory. And it starts with just sitting with a dwarf, right? You know, it's probably a dragon before you get there because, well, we're dealing with dragons this entire expansion, but he's choosing to be in that dwarf form. You don't actually ever see him in his dragon form. And he's just sitting there looking at the world around him, looking at his homeland and remembering what it used to be like looking out into the area that is being ravaged by uh, primal proto-drakes that's being ravaged by elementals and primalists and sort of reflecting on that. And it's, it's powerful more than anything else, just because again, it's, it's a good example of storytelling. There's tons of little quests like that just scattered everywhere. And it's nice because two things, one, they're not stories about us, right? For the last several expansions, while they've been good and fun, in my opinion, it ultimately always became about us and our involvement in the story, right? Shadowlands is all about us trying to to fix the engine of death and get everything back and, and working again, fix the anima drought, fix the realms, get every, get rescue souls that shouldn't have been damned in the first place, and then getting everybody back home and saving Anduin and doing all that stuff and then stopping the jailer. That that was us being involved to do that, and it was always one big story. And while there were little moments here and there, it was nothing compared to this. Same thing with Battle for Azeroth. Same thing with Legion, right? Like, yes, there's some little stories, but it's all propelled forward specifically by that big encounter that's going on, and everything feeds into it or matters because of it. Here it's... it's I, I struggle to say this, and I, and I don't want to get, like... This is going to sound weird and maybe won't make sense for anybody who didn't play back then, but it has a very early vanilla WoW feel to it. And we said this before, but it's these little self-contained story arcs or these little self-contained stories that only matter to the people you're working with in that particular moment that really give it that sort of classic feel to me, because that's how it was back in the day. Because in the original time, yes, there was some overarching like villains and things that were happening, but it wasn't necessarily the same they were villains of zones they were not necessarily the big bad of the entire world that you were going to deal with it was that zone in that moment right like scolomance was that zone in that moment when you got there and finished that off it's because that's what that area needed you to deal with it wasn't you're going to scolomance because they're threatening stranglethorn Vale. it wasn't anything like that world encompassing right here, it's that same sort of feeling, these little stories, these micro stories, these side quests, these side quest hubs. Maybe you're just helping the Tuscar get some soup. Soup's important, by the way. Uh, maybe you're just helping that those, those Tuscar kids with that Knoll Cub, which, funnily enough, if you do Brackenhide Hollow, look around after you finish the final boss because that cub pops up and you can click on him and interact with him. Do that. I'm not going to spoil it. Just do it. Um. That's what I really like about it is it's, yes, you're a big damn hero, but you're just helping people be people. And that's what we've been missing for a very long time. So uh, anything else you want to say about any of that, Matt? Uh, I mean, I could talk in detail, but I think we probably have other questions to answer. Yeah, I think we're going to move on. But thank you very much, Godzilla, for that question. Uh, this one comes from Felina. Uh Alex Traza nearly bit the dust in a cinematic in the first third of the first zone, and Rathion came to save the day. He didn't get the thanks he was hoping for, and there may not be a rift between the older aspect and the new upstart. How do we think this will play out over the expansion? I think you may be misreading the situation a little bit. Alex Traza didn't nearly bite the dust. Alex Traza was definitely holding back. And Matt pointed this out last week, and I think it's worth remembering. Alex Traza is a diplomat first. 
She wants to solve things without going to war. That is why she is the queen of the dragonflight. She is the talker. She is the the heart. She is the the emotion of the dragonflights of the aspects. That's what she does, right? And that's why going back to uh, our good, our our, our lovely uh, primal Drake uh, enemy here is so mad with her in the first place is because they probably got talked into stuff that they didn't want to do. And they blame Alex Straza for it. She can fight. She is exceptionally powerful. She is not to be trifled with. Now, is Raza Straz to, to, like, you know, probably her equal or more? Probably. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a big bad. But I don't think she was on the verge of death. She was definitely in an unfavorable position. Rathion did come to, to sort of save the day and tried to help. But Rathion's not more powerful than Alex Straza, not even by a long shot. Rathion. I mean, I He's like Rathion, guys. I like Rathion. Um, had she wanted to, she could have... And this is Razagath I'm talking about here. If Razagath had wanted to, she could have turned and killed Rathion in one go. But she doesn't want to. She wants She wants him to suffer. She doesn't even know who the heck he is. Yeah. Who is this guy? And I don't know who... The, this is literally a, you know, a black the dragon. Thanos scene where he's like, I don't even know who you are. Like, seriously, Razagath is like, whatever. Uh as we see, when Razagath goes and attacks, again, I'm going back to the Azure Span because it's it's pretty important for all this. When Razagath is attacking the Azure Span, um, Caligos holds her off by himself. Mm-hmm. And he's fighting her whole flight. Like all these dragons and elementals and all this stuff she has, he's basically, it's him, the Kirin Tor, and you. And Gagar, don't forget Gagar. That's why I said the Kirin Tor. Gagar and other members of the Kirin Tor are there. And that's it versus literally overwhelming odds. At one point he is up in the sky and literally everyone she has is attacking him. And all this means is that he can't keep his mirror image spell up. Like once you've been an aspect, even when they take the aspect power away from you or you give it up or whatever, you're still top shelf. You are a big, powerful dragon uh, in some cases, you've been alone for millennia. Even in Caligos's case, you've been around for a while, and you know a lot about the thing that you were aspect of. Mm-hmm. Just by being aspect of it, you learn all sorts of things. Even just as a dragon, Nosdormu is capable of time travel and manipulation that other people just can't even think about. So... If she'd wanted to, somebody that could get, that could knock a, an aspect, a former aspect, out of the sky the way that Razageth did to, to um, Alexstrasza, even though Alexstrasza was holding back, could turn around and kill Rathion in just like a swipe. And that's not a dig on him. He's 12 years old at this point. Yeah, he's a baby still. You know, he's doing amazingly well for his age. He is doing terrifyingly well. Uh, he is a prodigy, and he is quite frankly... One of the scariest dragons, just in terms of his potential. Yeah. But his potential is not realized yet. He is certainly not someone to, to mess around with or play with. But at the same time, he makes mistakes. He's hot-headed. He is still not. Honestly, he's not ready for the destiny he's trying to take for himself. And that's not his fault. It is not his fault that he's trying to do all this on, like, you know, a decade of life experience. Yeah, read read the read the short story. Seriously, like if you haven't yet, and I'm sure Felina, you have. We've interacted before. Seems like something you do. Like this is this is apparent. Like he's he's just got this this the weight of the universe essentially crashing down upon him, 
but he's put it on himself, right? Like he's worried about the survival of his dragon fleet. He's worried about breaking the legacy of Deathwing. He's worried about all these things. He's also worried about acceptance from the other dragon flights. And I think this is where the second point comes in. Him helping Alex Straza does not create a rift that wasn't already there. Alex Straza does not hate Rathion. Okay. She loves everything that, that is alive. That is just her deal. She understands the value of life, especially of the black dragon flight that's uncorrupted. I mean, look at the fact that they, they basically, after Neltharion turned on them, and they were like, we have to go forth into the world. They kept a place for the black dragons in the ruby life pools. Yeah. They didn't get rid of it. And nope. and the tender was there the entire time. Yeah. And when Sabellian shows up with the eggs, she just puts them in the ruby life pool. She doesn't argue. She doesn't say, well, how dare you? She's like, no, this is where your eggs should be. Absolutely. Put them in the pools. So, But there is history think, there, right? There's, yeah, there's history, history to contend with. Yeah, she 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 isn't quite trusted Rathian yet. Uh, she does accept him a lot more than he's willing to admit that she accepts him. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the rift between them, it is a rift that was there, as Joe said. Joe is absolutely right in that. They there will be a point in time where part of the problem is that he does not forgive her for having his egg in the first place. The Red Dragons are the ones who had Rathian's egg. They were holding him when he hatched out. They're the ones that had him. He doesn't trust them because he feels like they were trying to control him. And they probably were because, you know, here's this uncorrupted dragon egg created by one of our flight a red dragon who experimented on dragon eggs and did all this stuff to make him. What do we do? Like, that's like, that's an unusual thing. His, his birth. If dragons are created by being exposed to order, Rathion is super order created. Yeah. You know, he, he, he had an actual Titan artifact involved in his creation. A Titan artifact, I'll remind you all, was in the Badlands next to Uldaman. Mm-hmm. The place Tyr was going. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's a lot more to this than we've seen yet. Which is also evident of the fact that, like, Rathion stood up to an old god mm-hmm. and, and came out pretty okay after that, really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right, and even, if, and even if you want to say, quote-unquote, Nazoth was the weakest of the old gods... Sorry, that Nazoth was not exactly, as far as I'm concerned, the weakest of the old gods at that point. Nazoth had more freedom than all the other old gods. That was, Rathion was instrumental in that defeat, and he, he knows that, right? And he knows that the, the other dragon flights know that. He knows that Alex Straza knows that. All of the races of Azeroth know that. But he also knows that there's sort of that black cloud hanging over his head because of everything that Deathwing did. As far as how do I see this playing out, I think it's going to end with him finally accepting the fact that they accept him. And I think that I don't want to say everything is going to be forgotten because it won't be. It'll there'll always be that sort of reminder to be better and do better than essentially his progenitor did. But it will be at the restoration of the Black Dragon flight into the order of basically the dragons. It'll be this new dawn, and Rathion's going to be a part of that. Now, my hope, my serious hope is that we don't get a storyline where it turns out Sabellian and the other black dragons are, are still corrupted. And evil. I really hope not. I, I don't want that to be the case. I would like it if Sabellian and Rathion deal with each other and yes. don't necessarily just fight each other. Um, I don't, I don't know if I think either of them should be the aspect of the black well, dragon fight. Let's let's let that goes into the question from Tetsemi. So let's let's ask that okay. question and then talk about that because this is this is relevant. So Tetsemi asks us if we were a black dragon and had to choose Rathian or Sibelian as the next black dragon aspect, which one would we choose and why? 
and now I'm going to let Matt go because again, it's just relevant, relevant timing. Well, I mean, you should probably read what Tetsemi says. Yeah. So it's my character, Orc Warrior, still harbors a grudge against Rathion for the shenanigans he pulled freeing Garrosh and pitting the Alliance against the Horde. He also appreciates that Sibelian was able to solve the corrupted dragon problem in Outland. So his vote would probably go towards Sibelian based on, on his immediate feeling knowledge of the two. So I'm going to make a point right now. For all we know, the reason Sibelian was able to solve the corrupted dragon problem is that in Outland, they would have basically not been able to hear the whispers in the first place. Yeah, the portal had been closed at one point. Well, even before Outland got torn apart, we know that Draenor did not have old gods sleeping in it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't entirely devoid of void impulses because there were... Uh, Naru going through regeneration. So there were like a couple of void entities there. But when Cho'Gal went from Draenor to Azeroth, he cracked from just how much more powerful the void is on Azeroth. The old gods in the planet, like, you know, encrusted within the world, like cysts of pure void evil drove him. Like he was like, uh, uh. They're everywhere. I can hear them. That's why Cho'Gal went from kind of corrupt and evil to I'm a lunatic who's arguing constantly with myself. His mind, fra- his mind's fractured. Exactly. That's how, it's so much worse on Azeroth. So being on Outland was probably a way to, you know, which Rathion cannot be expected to know. But you know, Deathwing probably around, did. Yes, there's a reason Deathwing took, wanted to lay his eggs, put his eggs over there, and it wasn't just because he was interested to see what would happen with you know uh, Nether. Nether. Yeah, yeah, he wanted them away from Azeroth. It's entirely possible that that was his entire plan was to set up a bolt hole where they wouldn't be affected by the old gods. Because again, for all that he was a servant of the old gods, Deathwing's mind like a maze. This was a guy who was thinking like, you know, he was able to deceive Malagos. Malagos is, was brilliant. So Neltharion was no slouch. You got to remember this. Going back to it, though, it's quite possible that he didn't, Sibelia didn't so much solve anything as didn't have to worry about it in the first place. Yeah. While he was there, they weren't getting anything from the old gods. Now he comes back to Azeroth. Who's going to be whispering at him now? Nizoth? And don't forget, like we we quest for him at some point during Burning Crusade. Oh yeah, yeah. We I totally helped the dude kill Legron. He gave me pants. Died. Yeah, they weren't great pants, but they but matched they an outfit I had. So you know, yay! I wanted the matching pants. So cool. Um, but that's the thing to think about when we were telling the whole idea of solving the old god problem. In terms of Sibelian or Rathion, I think they both have good qualities that the next aspect should have, but they also have baggage. We've only heard about Rathian's baggage so far, but Sibelian, Sibelian was a, was at Neltharion's side for a very long time. He's older than the other children of Deathwing we see. Sibelian was born when his father and mother could just have children before Deathwing started cracking and splitting as elemental fury destroyed his body. There's a period of time when, when Neltharion and... Uh, Sinestra, I remember, forget her name before she was calling herself Sinestra, but the two of them were just dragons. They weren't like a lunatic monster and his embittered consort that wants to kill him but can't fight him. They were just dragons and he was just their kid. So in a way, he, Sibelian is the perfect example of 
everything the Black Dragonflight's been through. And a lot of the stuff they did is on him. You know, there's a reason Alex Raza's like, I have not forgotten that you, you know, the legacy of your father to Sibelian. She does not just tramp over um, Rathion and go, you're the guy now. She's like, you you sort this out. This is a Black Dragonflight thing. I'm not getting involved in this. I have my own stuff to do and worry about right yeah. now, which is this giant uprising of elemental primalists and their their ilk, as well as making sure the next generation of dragons is safe. Yeah, I, you you work it out. My hope is that they do work it out. And quite frankly, there's at least one other candidate, although he does not seem to be putting himself forward. Which is why I think he would be the best option. But that doesn't mean there isn't another option that we sh- we couldn't consider. Uh, when you go, when you help uh, Rathion and Sibelian take over the the former Obsidian Fortress, there's a Broodmother there, mm-hmm. and she she's like one, you know she's like, uh, yes, I I am I'm a Broodmother. These are not all my eggs, but I did lay some of them, and I do take care of all of them. It's not easy being a Broodmother, you know. I've spent a lot of time chasing them around, and I'm thinking to myself. I want to hear more about that character because quite frankly, we could probably do with, with a female head of the black dragonflight because quite frankly, it's, it's been, it's, you know, we've not had a good example. Neltharion did not paint himself, acquit himself particularly well. And Sibelian and Rathian both have reasons why they shouldn't do it. Ebonhorn doesn't seem to want to do it. And Jeff Joe's right. That does mean he could theoretically be a good choice simply because he doesn't want the job. Um, and whilst he's not as old as Sibelian, he is much older than Rathion. Mm-hmm. Ebonhorn is you know, t- over 10,000 years old. He, he came about during the Sundering. He was cleansed by a similar process to Deathwing, really, uh, using one of the, oh, I want to say the Hammer of Kazgaroth was used to, to purge him. It was. Yeah. You know? So he is another very heavily influenced by order uh, dragon. So he's another good example. Everything I said about De- about Rathion applies to to, Ibis- to Bissian, except Abyssian is ten thousand years old. He's also you know? he's also a lot more reserved than either of the the other two like aspect candidates, right? Like he's I, I hate to f- phrase it like this, but I don't really know a better way to do it. He's calmer and wiser and slower in making the decisions, he's more measured than either of the other two are as well. Right. Like he helped the high mountain tribe. He, you know, worked as a spiritual liaison with them. He understands mortals better than probably both of them do as well. Uh, And in the new current world that we live in, in the world of these aspects, they have to deal with us. There's not a choice for them to straight up. Not like, we are we are sort of intertwined until the end of time at this point, especially if we're going to be the ones that are raising the aspects back into their power, which seems to be where the story is, is you know, going to go. And they're pretty heavy handed about uh, dictating that. Um, but like he's just he's a better candidate in my eyes, which means that he's probably not going to take the role. But if it came down to it, ultimately, what I would have what I would like to see this sort of story arc end with is Sibelian and Rathion both acknowledging that neither of them deserve to be the aspect that both of them are not complete and that are, you know, they don't have everything they need to do, but they are everything that they need to fulfill that role properly because of their father's legacy, essentially at this point and stepping down and putting somebody else up, whether it's the brood mother or whether it's Abyssian uh, or whether it's a yet to be born dragon, 
I could see them, even at the end of this, we still have four aspects, we don't have five, because they decide neither of them should have it. And there's little hints of of them when you're doing the questing that, yeah, they're sort of like not getting along, but they're not getting that along in the way that like very obvious siblings from the movies don't get along. Yeah, they, like, they've developed the sibling relationship real fast. Real fast. <laughs> like, the civilian took one look at Rathian and was like, oh, God, it's dad's snotty offspring. And Rathian looks one look at Sibelian and is like, is everything you do wrong? Just just curious. Do you ever do anything right? I'm just wondering. Before we go on, yeah, this whole cart thing, is is any point, is any <laughs> of this plane going to work? It's just, you know, oh, you know, Sibelian's like, Titans, give me patience. It's actually kind of nice. I don't necessarily think that they should pass on the aspect thing, but I think that whichever one of them becomes aspect, if you, if it's between the two of them, which it appears to be in game, whichever one of them becomes aspect should take on Abyssian and the other one as their advisor. as advisors. Yep. And Abyssian would be like, you know, the good choice, like the, the, the wise counselor and the other former aspect candidate would be the devil on your shoulder. You know, you, you turn around and go, okay, explain to me all the ways my plan isn't going to work. You know, explain to me why this is a stupid idea. And they'd be like, oh, with, with pleasure. <laughs> Here it is. Because as, as is pointed out by Rathion's followers, like him or hate him, he gets things done quickly. Like, you know, he has that one thing that other dragons don't have. Abyssian understands mortals better, but Rathion thinks like a mortal. He thinks now. He is not... Well, in thousands of years, we will have... No, no, we're doing it now. We are not going to wait thousands of years. I am tired of all the waiting thousands of years. Waiting thousands of years is how we ended up here. We're going we're gonna to get it done now. And I think that's an interesting mindset that I would like to see put forward. But in the end, I don't support any of them. Uh, my character, I'm, when I was playing through on my, on my Draenei, my Draenei's entire thing about this is, you know, I, when, whenever any one of them asks me if, they tr- if I trust them, his response is no. No, of course I don't trust you. I don't. Are you kidding? Like you deliberately lied to me all the time. Um, I've known him for about ten years, and he's lied to me constantly. I just met you, and the first thing you did was lie to me <laughs> about a plan you had. You straight up lied to me. So it was deception. You were deceiving the enemy, but you deceived me to do it. Well, I'd be a fool to trust you, and I am not a fool. I also aware that you're not as bad as all the other things we're dealing with. So I'll certainly work with you. But trust you? That'll take some time. And I honestly think this goes back to the previous question. That's why Alex Straza is not jumping with joy, you know, to just do whatever Rathian wants. She has a different perspective than him. And while she does seem to like him, like even love him, like your nephew, he's your nephew that has the crack problem. You know what I mean? Your nephew who is always doing something crazy and you have to bail him out at four o'clock in the morning. He's that kind of nephew, and you're wary. And then his older brother shows up, the one who is literally in another dimension, it, you know, effectively in Dragon Juvie. So, yeah, you're not thrilled about any of this. You'll work with them, but trust is going to take time. Yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic, and I think... So like I, Dragon Juvie, you're going to say. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Uh, not just from an adventure standpoint, not just from a story standpoint, but from an interrelation standpoint, because this is the first time in a very, very, very long time that we have all of the dragons and dragon flights in one space dealing with each other again, because the last time they did this was to fight Deathwing, and then they scattered, 
they had their own problems to deal with. They didn't bother with each other. They didn't really interact with each other. Right. And then that's sort of understandable with everything that was going on between the Emerald dream. Uh, what happened with the red dragon flight uh, with the, the bronze dragon flight sort of accidentally causing a major interdimensional war. Um, like, Malagos dying and Caligos taking over and then Caligos not living up to the, the aspect qualities that they've really felt and then letting all the dragons disperse and the black dragons basically just being Rathion at that point. Like they haven't had to interact with each other in a long time. And maybe it's not a long time to them because they are so long lived, but for us it's, it's years, it's 15, 20 years. Like it's a good chunk of time. So now they're being forced to interact with each other. They're being forced to deal with their emotions with one another. Uh, they're being forced to deal with the, the, I don't want to say character flaws, but sort no, of. No, no, that's perfect. That is what you yeah, say. But they're the, dealing with their character flaws. They're dealing with as, not just flaws, but to use one example before we move on, Caligos in his story in the Azure Span, when he starts, I, I don't, I'm just going to say this. When he starts making cow eyes at what is essentially his grandma's hologram, it is a perfect summarization of, of Caligos's personality. He is constantly looking for someone to fix him. Yeah. He has been looking for someone to fix him since before he met Anvina. And that's why he falls in love with pure aspects of magic or this woman with all so much trauma or his holographic grandma because he doesn't have to deal with anything that way. He doesn't have to look inside and say, what is my problem? What is wrong with me? But in this time that he finally does while fighting the primalist, he finally realizes, you know, because she flat out tells him, um, the, the Cinder Gosa hologram flat out tells him you're trying to be merciful. Mercy is great, but you can't have mercy without justice. You know, you can't, you can't put them ahead of you. You have to make sure if you're not here, you can't do anything. And it's like, it is the hard talk that he needed to get, and it's perfectly put out there. And it's really fascinating just watching, going through that story and watching him realize, oh, what am I going to do without my dragon flight? That's the problem here is I don't have my flight. It's not that we don't have an aspect. We don't have a blue dragon flight. And he manages to call out to some of them, and they show up. This poor Senegos drags himself out of North. Like, you know what I mean? The Broken Isles. He pulls himself out of the Broken Isles to show up and help. Senegos is like, what? Like he is the like the oldest blue dragon in existence, isn't he? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He's super old. And he's like, "All right, I'm here. We're gonna fight something." <laughs> oh God, I'm so old. Like I'm laughing here, but I actually really liked that moment. I thought it was really good. Like to see them show up. I was mad that Tiragosa wasn't there. I want to know what happened to Tiragosa. Like I want. I know that there's some of them are much further away, but I want to see Tiragosa again because I loved when she. And I want to see Azuragos. Quite frankly, is he dead again? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, Probably. we don't know what's up with Zergos. Zergos is constantly trying to like hook up with his uh, spirit. Spearmender, yeah. So yeah, but but Dan, uh, I'm going on a lot, and I know that you've got more stuff to say, Joe. So <laughs> actually, uh, I don't really have much more to say besides it's going to be an interesting ride. But we are over time, so we're going to go ahead and call it here, folks. Um, 
and I mean, I will encourage you to go and deal with, uh, go see, so go see Caligos. I'm pretty sure he's, he's in his My Chemical Romance phase of his, uh, character arc. Um, he's definitely got the scene hair and everything else. And Matt's right. He is absolutely still looking for everybody to fix him. But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance of having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience. Again, if you have questions for this podcast, be sure to send them in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you can also hit us up on our Patreon queue and podcast question. If you're a Patreon supporter, we tend to look there first. That's where a lot of these have come from. Uh, and if you can't support us on Patreon, don't want to send us an email, we do have the Q and podcast questions channel. Uh, be sure to share, uh, tell your friends about us, you know, let them know that we exist. It definitely is a, uh, it helps. It helps more than you can possibly ever imagine. And I'm going to keep asking you to do it just like those YouTubers do, because it does help. (laughs) Uh, but with that folks, we'll see you next week. Just imagine Calgo singing, you're the field pain and nothing at all. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.